This interview is a bit of a rehash of the last interview I tried to do with Rico before Streamlabs decided it was going to go kaput and decided it was going to be a complete and utter mess. So this is my attempt to make sure that we get the full, uh, full content from that and be able to uh, speak with somebody who I was actually interviewed by, um, I believe it was last year or several months ago. Forget well, it, was last year. It, was, it was last year. Last year, that's right, last year, because it was the beginning oh, of COVID, and I had just started my channel. That was um, a wild so, year, man. Holy oh, shit. yeah. Oh, that was that was uh, interesting times. Got kicked out of the dorms and everything, so that was fun. Um, so, introducing Rico Rance. Uh, he's one of the first people I worked with uh, on online commentary. Rico, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, y'all. Uh, Marine Corps veteran, uh, freelance writer, YouTuber, though I'm a high on hiatus on most of those things outside of work because of, well, work and uh, we're currently working on becoming a pharmacy technician. So it's uh, I've been busy, and but I do want to get back into doing all this again later down the road. But for now, I'm just I'm content with coming on uh, the shows of my buddies like Connor here. All righty. So I just thought I'd do this because this is what I did with the Cavernac on. It seems to work well. I just wanted to get a sense of what got you into online commentary, what kind of personally motivated you to really start fighting online about these kinds of things and what you expected to get out of it. What I'd always wanted to but didn't do the lack of like I felt – I felt like I needed a bunch of shit to do this. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. a, like I thought I needed, like, high-quality production and equipment and yada, 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 and I didn't have none of that. So a lot of stuff like that held me back for the longest time. Plus, they look, you know, a case of imposter syndrome. You know, I always felt like, you know, who'd want to listen to what I had to say? Like, what do we- there's, no way what I, there's no way what I have to say is all that uh, insightful or valuable to anybody. And then I just kind of just pushed past all of those doubts and the things I, you know, had in my way. And I just said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going for it. You know what I mean? It's uh, once I got a job that allowed me the freedom that gave me the free time to do that. And I made enough to invest in some decent enough equipment. I did. I just like, fuck it. I'm doing this. And that, that cause yeah, I wanted to, I was like, you know, I'm just going to scream into the void and just kind of, Hope hope uh, people listen and see what people you know see how you know bounce my ideas my thoughts and feelings off the the cesspool that's the internet and you know hope hope to God I get lucky. Yeah, and and I, I just bounce, bouncing off of that a bit. I, I it's kind of a thing for a lot of people who have like interesting ideas about online commentary and things like that that aren't one hundred percent sure if they have not only the equipment but the emotional strength to do it. I know when I first started out, particularly on live streaming, I had been writing for nearly three to four years at that point. And with writing, you don't get a lot of the, the blowback that you get in live chats. So yeah. for, you, for you, what was like, when you first started out, what was some of the challenges? Was it blowback or just not just ch- having an idea of what to say or... The first, the first challenge, uh, challenge was the, was how I wanted to do my videos, was like how they were gonna be, how I was gonna put them out, and honestly, I I settled for the bow of the fist column style of just like what we're doing here, just turn on a fucking mm-hmm. camera, web, uh, uh, on a mic, and just and just speak, 
you know what I mean? And I tried with a script and I have, I, I cannot be scripted. I can't, I cannot follow a script to save my fucking life. It is robotic as shit for me. I am, I, I have to be off the cuff. I, you can give me some little, your cue cards, some idea of what I'm supposed to talk about. But I read out that that was my second challenge, realizing I can't do anything scripted. Third challenge is I'm too lazy to fucking get into big into like editing and all that shit. You know what I mean? That, that takes a lot of that. that it, there's a lot that goes into video editing and production. <laughs> Believe yeah, it or not, no, y'all. Believe so, me, I know. I've I, I've paying for a, a, a program right now, uh, and it's worked out pretty good. I mean, so yeah. like it helps with intros and stuff. But like, you got to sit down for tutorials just to understand oh, some of this stuff. Yeah, that's just like I said. Video production is no joke. Oh yeah, and I am a lazy motherfucker, so that was not fun to, to deal with. But I did manage to get my videos to be semi competent, and it did. And thankfully, I did have my wife who helped me out often. She was much better at that type of stuff, and she would always get on my ass whenever my videos would have those fucking black borders on the sides of them. She was always jumping on my throat for that. And then, lastly, I think because I can take blowback, I don't, negative comments don't bother me. The thing that my biggest issue to overcome was I couldn't look away. Like, I would keep looking at my view count. I would keep checking my videos for a new comment, for a yeah, new view yeah. count. I would keep looking over and over and over again. And I realized, this isn't healthy. Mm -mm. Just put the fucking video out there and leave it. Like, don't, you know, the, I shouldn't be keep coming back and forth over and over and over again just to look at every single minute change. Yeah. Like, and yeah. And like I, I think I've got a similar situation because when I first started writing on Medium and when I first started uploading, I would always check the view counts. And Medium, yep. if you go back to some of my old articles where I would get negative comments, there would be like 13, 14 replies to the, from me to the other guys hoping that there would be some good faith. Because for me, I was under the impression that if you gave somebody your reasons, if you let them uh, hear what you had to say – and you get, showed them good faith, they would show you the same. And that's not yeah. always the case. And then yeah. that was a mistake. Uh, I should have I seen that coming because uh, congressional debate uh, really hounded that fact home, but I kind of missed the whole formal stuff. Um, yeah. Oh, but, and on that note, just a caveat. Just sorry for interrupting this caveat. The last thing is uh, uh, don't go looking for a fight, I would say, on the y'all. Look, the internet is filled to the brim with a lot of stupid motherfuckers that it's very easy to get sucked into trying to argue with them. I'm guilty of it. I am, yeah. I am very guilty of it. No, I, I do not deny that. But there are some motherfuckers out there who they live for this shit. Mm. They will, they, they, they will fuck. They will keep the argument going forever. And they're happy to do that. They live for this. Learn when to stop. I had to try mm. to turn. I had to teach myself that because I had that problem where I would engage and then I just keep engaging with it and just keep going, wasting hours of my fucking day. Yeah, arguing with some motherfucking random person on the internet. You know what I mean? Like, so that's that was I would argue the last hurdle is just again kind of following back with the uh, not obsessing over each view is just learning to let go. Yeah, uh, like I had that. Uh... With my last video, I did it on Aaron Mate and uh, the whole him versus uh, uh, Chelsea Manning and all that stuff. And it was a relatively small video, and it wasn't really all that 
well produced. I'm still proud of it because I got to use the intro for the first time. But one, nice. I, and I, I made two mistakes on it, and so I had to issue a correction on a few things. But then there's the other people who are just like, oh, this is just hate on Aaron Mate thing. So it's kind of it, there's a there's I think there's a mentality that you just want to say no, listen to me, and it doesn't always work well in your favor. But um, I have noticed like you've kind of somewhat embraced that like acknowledged that part of yourself like i your header uh it's i believe it says man too angry to die or something along those lines Breaking man too angry to die <laughs> <laughs> yep 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 yeah, uh, so, kind of embrace the madness but keep going so would you say that you've branded yourself somewhat under the uh impression that there is that side to you but also that it's something that you have to control because I know Rico rants is kind of part of the idea. So would yeah, you say that you... believe me, I love to rant. I love to talk. I love to. I will gladly argue and debate with people happily. Yeah, that that is that is my brand. But at the same time, what I've done differently is I've also kind of embraced the more I guess the uh, the opposing side of that. Learning when to just let let this shit go, mm. just shut the fuck up and go on with your life. I will gladly argue with somebody, but. I had to like, you got to lie to learn that sometimes this shit ain't worth my time. That's why I got better things to do. I don't want to get sucked into this shit because this shit never ends. And there's one thing I read, that's why you've seen, maybe seen some of my tweets in the past where I said, if you try to fight with the internet, you're going to lose. Yep. Because I guarantee there, you're going to bump into somebody who has way more time than you do and is way more petty and vindictive. Mm. They will keep going well after you're tired and exhausted. And I've learned to just let that shit go. So I can't always be my persona. I know that it's sometimes it's okay to just stop. Yeah. Sometimes okay. Sometimes Rico needs to shut the fuck up. <laughs> I, I feel like a certain percentage of people would benefit from that. Um, just sitting down and shutting up. I can't tell you how many times I had to delete the Twitter app off my phone uh during covid like i was locked away for two weeks with my roommates so of course and... you were on it all day i was the same way just all <sighs> on it the whole time yeah well and, and i would argue and i would uh question do you like think that part of the issue now is that with covid finally coming to a close we would expect that anxiety to go away but it is still what would you say is the reason we're still kind of in that rage mode uh that we kind of see around online I have a couple theories in mind, but one, and this is me projecting myself off of uh, onto everyone else, because I mean, if you if you're not motivated in the same way, then that's fine. Boredom, mm. boredom, is a hell of a motivator to be on this shit, and being on Twitter and arguing with randos and engaging with a bunch of bullshit is uh is it's something, it's something to do. It's something that's constantly changing and evolving in real time at all times. You know what I mean? It's stimulating, not in a healthy way, I would argue, but stimulating nonetheless. You know what I mean? And as far as the anger, a lot of it is also, well, we just want somebody to take our anger out on. Mm. Like, uh, I feel a lot of people, and I might, again, myself included, you know, we're angry. And angry about something. And... You see, so that, that's what people kind of addicted to, like, dunk culture, mm. is that you, we want to dunk on somebody. We want to shit on somebody. To just, just you, or we want to make you the avatar 
of our the of our hatred. Like you, the you are the enemy. You are the target. We want to take you out and fucking just you're because you're you're an easy target. You are someone that's easy to just lay it all out on. And I think that's addictive. I think that's so, addicting. And I I I think there's some truth to that because when it's easy like to bring up a sim a single symbol of like the all the evil in the world. And if you just get rid of that single entity, that single source of evil, I think uh, for a lot of people, that allows them to feel like they're making real systemic change. Make and them not feel like they're to, doing something, yeah. Yeah. That's ha- satisfying that desire, to feel like you're yeah. doing something. Yep. And, and I think also it kind of has to do with the idea that we're not – it. it, it it prevents people from being able to in, uh, look inside themselves and see what the consequences of what they're doing and how that might um, not necessarily – they're not as good as they think they are basically. If they don't have to look inside themselves and just attack this one thing, they don't have to consider, am I actually contributing to the systemic problems in the world if I just attack this one person? Is that um, – yeah, no doubt people feel – like they're doing something when they uh, engage motherfuckers along, they take when they jump in, when they jump in on the, on the dog piling, on the dunking, and all that jazz. And I was saying before that it's addictive to even do, to do that. And where yeah, I was yeah. going with that is that the problem is, eventually, if the only way you engage with the internet is is through aggression, is looking for fights, looking for something to something or someone to dunk on that ends up becoming all you do and you start looking for any reason, no matter who it is, no matter who they are, no matter how small the infraction, they start looking for something and someone to dunk on. Even if it's just a motherfucker, it's just some random fucking nobody with like 10 followers. The motherfuckers look for anything. And we're talking about the type of motherfuckers that like name search themselves, looking for any random bozo to fucking, uh, to shit on. You know what I mean? It get, they're clearly have an unhealthy relationship with the internet at that point. Yeah, no kidding. Because they kind of seem like it seems to me that, and I believe the Daily Show had a point about this, but there is some measurements to suggest that people do uh, find rage addictive. It allows us to feel in control when in many cases we're not. Yeah, no, it's uh, extremely, it's ext- yeah, it's extremely addictive. Like it's like honestly, it really is. It feels good. I've again, I've I've been a part of it. It feels good in the moment, but then you, you see how this ends with about with the type of drama where motherfuckers start getting doxxed and shit. Yeah. Like people start getting re- it starts getting way too personal. It starts getting dangerous. You start you you end up fucking with the wrong person, and that person turns out to be fucking batshit crazy, and they start coming after you and your family. You know what I mean? It just it, it all goes belly under. And when your whole engagement with the internet is again through aggression, do not be surprised if you run into people who who are the, exactly like you, looking for a fight, and will get will just not stop. Yep, that's and and that's the other thing. Like I think like when we when the internet was first like when for example when Barack Obama first got involved with Twitter because he used it in his 2008 campaign uh, to really expand upon his campaign's reach. It was kind of thought of as a democratizing force to be able to communicate to the people and persuade them to your side. Mm-hmm. But that same democratization also comes with the alternative, which is every common person, uh, right or wrong, 
can say whatever they like for the most part. And I don't think online commentators were, are, or online regulators are really good at, at handling that or were ever prepared. Which it brings me to uh, your takes on uh, free speech absolutism. Because oh, yeah. I know that's a big thing for you. That's mm-hmm. always been a big thing for you. Your uh, your last pinned tweet about the January 6th insurrection is pretty blunt about that. Uh, so my question for you is, in this evolving hostile atmosphere, how do we, on one hand, protect free speech and prevent corporate over control of media while at the same time ensuring this kind of vile violent rhetoric to how do we restrain that vile rhetoric without also causing problems for any expression well as as i've said to people before is that you kind of have to 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 just fight that good fight because the you the usual argument is that if you employ these the the uh the mechanisms of censorship onto your who your enemies, they can if they gain power, they can then use it against you, and that's the thing. And I'm like, yeah, you're right about that. Okay, that's not a that's not a reason not to fucking to to silence the fucking the the misinformation that they're spreading that's getting people killed. Mm. You know what I mean? That's not like to me. It, it's just a matter of weighing cost benefit on this. Yeah, there's a risk. That it could be done, that the people with the power to do that can do can get it wrong. There's a risk that the bad guys can then gain can gain power and then use those same powers against you. That risk is there, no doubt. But what's happening here and now is the free flow of misinformation is actively getting people killed now. That's not a mm. risk. That is happening. Mm. That and then the, yeah. So would you? Sorry to interrupt you. So would oh, so you for. So to just over, to kind of summarize your position, you're saying that the consequences of not taking action are so great and so dangerous that it in effect not only kills people, but it also helps suppress this very speech we're trying to protect in the first place. Because misinformation spreads like fucking wildfire. Before the truth even catches up, misinformation is already done incalculable fucking damage. Mm. You know what I mean? Misinformation, like you, you, and we've seen it, where a tweet that's misinformation, that's just pure misinformation, will get 100,000 likes and 50,000 retweets, uh, and then the correction... We'll only get like maybe a hundred likes, maybe 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 ten retweets. You know what I mean? No one notices the correction. No one notices the truth. The misinformation spreads. The sensational misinformation spreads like wildfire. And and I agreed that there is a problem. Uh, I think with misinformation, whether it's far right activists engaging in all sorts of large scale propaganda, and I think you and I are on the same page on that front. But I also wanted to know, like, how would you – well, let me put it this way. In the past, some YouTubers who have actively tried to handle and deal with this misinformation have been banned or, or temporarily suspended because some of the content in their videos includes mm-hmm. that very like same misinformation. Watch, yeah. Right Wing Watch, Three Arrows when he did a mm-hmm. video on the alt-right. Yep. Um, I believe it was the Surfs as well. Mm-hmm. And so – a lot of the issues, and I believe uh, it was the cynical historian as well. He was doing a video on the Holocaust, yeah. and they ended up trying to take it down. Uh, hey, it's Vadim has also had that issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so my question is, how do we 
keep to the standard that you are setting, but also make sure that these, these companies like YouTube, like Twitter, don't just rely on their algorithm that is plainly nonsensical and doesn't work to adequately it, protect. Yeah, people. yeah. I get what you're asking. And the answer is, well, you have two options, basically. There's the government option, because the reason why these, obviously, we know that they rely on their algorithms to police their, their uh, platforms is because, I mean, it's cheap and easy. They don't want to have to. They don't want to have to actually hire content moderators to go through everything and make sure that shit legitimately should, needs to be banned and make sure it doesn't. They don't. That that costs a lot of money. When they can just let an algorithm go uh, go after certain words and phrases and clips and types of type of deal that'll just you know tangle the problem and just kind of makes no distinction. That's the easy way. And that's why they do that. So the solution to that is government regulation demanding that they do. That's why they start. They always start to actually start enforcing their terms of service is because they don't want to be regulated. Because if they keep failing to enforce their terms of service and it keeps resulting in the problems that we're having, the government is going to step in and regulate them, and then they're going to have to pay much, spend money on the, on mod content moderation in ways they didn't want to fucking have to spend. That's one way. The second way is, again, still no government regulation. It's basically keep things as it is, and just every time people get fucking flagged and all that, get their shit struck, struck down, we have to, we, we make a whole fucking stink about it, and then they're like, oh, then an actual person reads it, and like, oh, shit, oh, the algorithm banned the wrong person again, fix it. You know what I mean? It's, it's mm. one or the other. Me, personally, and, I'd, go, I'd go the government route. So, and I, I know you've mentioned in the past that, um, I say the government route and regulations and things like that. But also on the other front, like with um, those who engage in the misinformation, like Rebel News, uh, Tucker Carlson, most recently, uh, Stephen Crowder, any, all of them. Stephen Crowder's video on George Floyd, or mm. anytime <laughs> that one, that one gets you. Don't worry, we'll get to that in a moment <laughs> if you want to talk about that. Um, but uh, when it comes to the government avenue, I know you've mentioned in the past possible like civil lawsuits or defamation and things like that. So would you say that perhaps in the absence of of governments literally regulating the entire media sphere of YouTube or something like that, would we take a similar route? Would we sue them for breach of contract with their terms of service or things like that? As far as legal avenues go, Unfortunately, that is not a viable solution because, as we, as we, I'm sure you definitely know, that the legal route is expensive. It's mm. super fucking. It is a costly endeavor, and you, me, and even successful YouTubers versus multi-billion-dollar companies, it's it's a losing gambit. The legal route is not. Even if you have a solid case, the legal route is costly, lengthy, and just it's just not viable for most mm. people. So I would never use that as a argue that as a solution to that problem. But I do think what should be the case, it may we need to maybe change our laws a bit on what, what counts as libel, slander, and defamation. Because if there's one thing I have seen is these motherfuckers engage in, in what it arguably should be considered libel, slander, and defamation. And they should be held accountable for the misinformation that they spread. We like they should be some vector to uh, actually hold them accountable because, like, notice how Dominion and Smartmatic voting machines started suing the fuck out of everybody that were defaming their business. They changed their tune real fucking quick. 
They turned around real quick, issuing corrections and apologies. And like, whoa, whoa, whoa never mind, never mind, there was no voter fraud, my bad. We did, they just started, they completely changed their tune. And a lot of motherfuckers on right-wing media have figured it out. That's why they don't say explicitly that there was voter fraud anymore, because they know they can, they'll get sued if they do. So they, they, mm. the, 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 the misinformation mongers, they, they live off of the, the freedom from accountability. When there's actual means of holding them accountable for the misinformation that they spread, they shut the fuck up. And they mm. know it. So that's why I mean, it's what I'm saying is I don't know how legal, the legal system works on changing laws or how to broaden the scope of what counts as libel, slander, and defamation. But I would definitely argue that we did, we need a more a broader interpretation of it so that these people can be held accountable for it. Because again, they engage in basically libel, slander, and defamation on a regular fucking basis. Okay, and so, uh, for example, Tucker Carlson, he recently made a claim that the NSA was spying on him. Mind you, they spy on us all at some point, uh, but they have to go to a FISA court to do that. Um, And it's interesting because uh, Fox has not really backed him up. His other commentators aren't mentioning it. So it kind of plays to your point that maybe to some extent this right-wing media sphere realizes or at least is somewhat aware that if you go too far – you can be uh, really exposed. Um, yeah. But in, ad- but in addition to that, I-, I was wondering, what do you think the role of companies like M- Media Matters, Right Wing Watch, how-, how effective do you think they are at holding these kinds of people to account? Super effective. In, in, the way, in, in what, they can, what they can manage. Because, like, for example, Media Matters has been uh, integral. Uh, any efforts of uh, taking down the? I just sent you a private chat. Don't worry about it. Oh uh, yeah, I got you. Uh... What the heck? Oh, he just exited out. Oh, he's back. A bit exited not... out there. Yeah, I meant to exit out the to private chat and ended up exit out the whole damn thing. <laughs> All right. Idea. What I was saying is, Media Matters is integral. Has been integral and. Uh, it was basically killing Fox News's uh, advertisers, sponsorships, and whatnot. But the only reason they still have any strength that they have is because of contracts that are outside of their control. Basically, it will take the government to get involved with that shit. They have contracts with cable companies in such a way that they still, they're still making money, enough money to keep doing what they're doing, even though they've long since lost most of their advertisers as a result of uh, watchdog groups like Media Matters, Right Wing Watch, and so on. Okay, and then, so I think that summarizes kind of the issue so far. Um, But I was actually wanted to talk to you also about the critical race theory issue. Uh, uh, Yeah, sorry, man, I have to bring it up. You were doing research on King, and I I I hate them so much. I hate the anti-CRT movement so much. Well, and and from my perspective, because I've worked in history and things like that, and one of the things that I've noticed is there's not an overarching theory of history, but at the same time. Yeah, but at the same time, they'll attack things like the 1619 Project as CRT. So my question for you is relatively simple. is: Do you think that this movement is largely a genuine issue, or is it more astroturfed, and, or, or like something like along those lines? 99% astroturfed, 1% people dumb and haven't realized that the, that the movement is astroturfed. That's, that's what this is. It is entirely manufactured outrage. 
the, uh, towards something that they can that they that none of them can uh, coherently define, uh, that none of them can substantiate even exist. Not a single school is teaching critical race theory. Not a single school is teaching kids that to hate white people or to hate America or to be racist. No, no, no one is teaching that. I can't speak for private schools because private schools are basically unregulated and can teach whatever the fuck they want. But public schools, nothing of the sort. Not a goddamn thing is being taught like that. But you can't tell that to the critical race theory people because they just say it is. They, that's what they're being taught. And I'm like, where? Not one yeah. person can articulate that. Not one. And the ones that's try are lying. They always get found out to be liars. Well, and then the other thing is that they've also, it seems to me, like an attack on... It's sort of like that white backlash that King talked about in the past with his uh, in his book what what where do we go from here? Yep. And and things like that. So, what do you think the best method that can be done whether they're from the left or centrist or anybody who's willing to push back on this, what method do you think is best to handle this kind of backlash and how do we prevent it from succeeding where in the past such similar backlashes have succeeded? The uh, first off is locally. You need to you need to get involved with your local school board and in the in the city council because that's where these motherfuckers are going. They're going for, they're going they're going local. They're going for your city school board. They're going for your school boards and your city councils. And they are quite literally trying to harass people out of their positions and get in those positions themselves. So protect the people that are on the school boards and city council in whatever way you can. Send them Lavoto the emails of support, letting them know. That you know you you support them and that with the the, the anti CRT movement are a bunch of fucking crackpot little crackpot lunatics, you know what I mean? You if you're not getting on the city school board or the city, uh, if you're not if you're not getting on the school board or city council yourself, support the people who are on it who are opposed to this nonsense. That's the best you can do. Secondly, mm-hmm. um, the second best thing we can do is just kind of let this fucking anti CRT movement implode, because the problem is they've gone too far. They've gotten so hyperbolic, so ridiculous, so patently out uh, out there, off their fucking rockers that they've delegitimized themselves. Because the more the, each each one of them, they just it's like a it's like a fucking rat race for each of them to one up each other on who can get more hyperbolic, apocalyptic, and ridiculous about the CRT shit. And that turns even people who would have entertained the idea, even the center, the super rational fucking centrist. Are turned off by this shit now because it's very clear that these people have lost their fucking mind. Yeah, and I yeah. and I know. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you're good. You're good. Go ahead. And I and I know in the past you've interviewed some of the people who've tried to push back on this from the academic perspective, specifically Sam Hoadley Brill. Cool. Uh, yeah, he's a he's. A, I've read some of his stuff. It's very impressive. You guys should check him out on Liberal Currents. He's very good. Um, but I also think that. One of the things that is concerning is that it's not it's not a unique movement. Like this anti-CRT movement seems to be like an extension of previous right-wing accusations. It's that the an extension of every single last goddamn one of them, man. Every yeah, it's of all of them. Well, and 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 like for example, the um, the uh, what was it? Turning Point USA. Turning Point USA has the Professor Watch List. Mm-hmm. So as much as so if if I may push back a little bit, as much as the local issue is strong, I do sometimes wonder how we are supposed to protect larger universities that are actually teaching critical race theory as much as the right misrepresents it. 
we can't. I mean, you can only you can only protect what's local to you. You know what I mean? We can't like we've only we've only got so much fucking bandwidth. And and then what's understood is the difference between us and them is that they're. Uh, manufactured outrage is astroturfed. In other words, they are backed by wealthy people. They are mm. by and large organized and, or and their movements orchestrated by wealthy people. That who This isn't some Jewish conspiracy. No, these are actual fucking, we know who these people are, like the Mercer family, the fucking Thiels and all them. All the, it's, it's, the, you know, it's like Peter Thiel and all these other fucking right-wing billionaires who are very open about their fucking disdain for liberalism, democracy, and uh, and uh, everything else the, that makes our country actually fucking halfway decent. You know what mm. I mean? They're very open. The Dennis Prager, very open about it. All of these, the Wilkes brothers, they're all very open about this. Mm. You know yep. what I mean? And so it's kind of hard to compete with that because whereas we're just minding our own fucking business and got enough on our own plates, they whole ass got basically warriors ready. Just That's why you see the same people it's like Media Matters has pointed this out, but you'll see that they cycle like re recycle like the same people in a bunch of different places, like the 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 from from the uh, the anti mask march, you know what I mean, to the fucking the anti CRT movement, where there's like concerned parent who actually turned out to be a well uh, experienced Republican uh, party uh, activist and strategist, whatever the case may be, they are active political activists uh, and operatives within the Republican Party and have been for a long time. These aren't random concerned parents off the streets. It's the same fucking people that were, they've been recycling. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's hard to compete with that. It really is. Yeah, it is. Uh, so so I guess my, what if I may summarize it, it's not so much that like there's no way to stop it if if that's what you're saying. It's just that yeah. we have our limit, we have limited uh, control and you control what you can and then work towards a larger movement in the future so yeah. that way these institutions maintain themselves okay well, yeah, yeah i just want I mean, to make if, sure if we were backed by billionaires and able to order to just throw people around the country like that oh dude there'll be no problems but we don't we're not like we don't have that we never we've never had that and, and i think and that's where i kind of say like we need larger political institutions that although not necessarily partisan in their orientation because we don't want it just being bogged down in the right versus left nonsense, yeah. that they're dedicated to the protection of these kinds of institutions because it's not the first time it's not the first time that we've seen this hostility towards academia. We've seen it in the, in the second Red Scare with yeah. McCarthyism and things like that. And so I think, for me at least, protecting these institutions from partisan outrage is of the utmost importance because they're supposed to help create better citizens. They're supposed to mold the next generation into a more educated populace. But additionally, I think um, one of the things you've done research in the past on is Dr. King and how sometimes they misrepresent who he is. And they literally, and I mean literally, only quote that one sentence from his I Have a Dream speech. And I'm not exaggerating. Literally, only that one sentence they don't quote anything else from him literally only that one sentence you would think that is the only thing that man has ever said and ever done it's fucking insane well and they exclude that i have a the uh the part of it where he says in a sense we've come to our nation's capital to cash a check when the architects of our republic were wrote the magnificent words of the constitution and the declaration of independence they were signing a promissory note and then 
they have not talked about like how it's not a fulfilled thing. Like they always treat it as though, for example, he, he says, I have a dream that one day my children will be judged not by the That's color of That's literally all they fucking quote. Yeah. Yeah, you know, they, they, but they, they hate reparations, but love Martin Luther King. They yes. hate they they hate any kind of fucking anti-racist activism, but they love Martin Luther King. You know what I mean? So it's like, what the fuck? Well, and and the other thing is, they kind of make it seem like he is the end all be all of of black activism of, at the of time. Of black activism, of of the of the correct form of black activism, and not a single goddamn one of them is able to cite anything other than that one fucking sentence. Well, and the other thing is they actively misrepresent the very speech that they're quoting. Because exactly. if you read through the speech, it, it mentions explicitly financial issues because the, the speech is the, – the event's full name was the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom, not the March on Washington. They were going there for something, and it wasn't just the Civil Rights Act of 1964. I mean James uh, Lindsay literally up here saying like Martin Luther King succeeded. Get, 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 get with the future, and it's just like, no, he didn't. That's the whole fucking problem, you idiots. Like that's the problem here. He didn't. He was killed. You know what I mean? He didn't succeed. Everything he tried to do was undermined and has been undermined for decades. He didn't succeed. That's the well, whole fucking problem. And the other thing is that I think, and this is just my perspective because I had to study the civil rights uh, movement for my senior thesis, was that there were other organizations besides the Southern Christian Leadership Conference and Dr. King. And to me, it seems like that the rights perspective by forcing like their perspective on who King is as the centerpiece of correct black activism also precludes any other criticisms that King himself received from his fellow activists. Yeah. People like Ella Baker and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee or CORE or any of these other organizations. And to me at least, it, I think there's a problem with how we teach the civil rights movement. So if you were to – Oh my god, it's a huge – oh god, we do not teach it right at all, but keep going. If you if you would want to see something like how you would want it to be taught, what would you like to see emphasized and what would you like to see de-emphasized? I would love to see them emphasize the fact that he at no point, at no fucking point, advocated for colorblind solutions to these problems. I would very much like that to be emphasized like a lot because because everybody keeps, I swear to God, everybody, these motherfuckers really want to push the idea that Martin Luther King advocated for colorblind solutions to problems. No, no, the fuck he did not. He did advocate for universal solutions for sure. Like he, like he called our healthcare system. Uh, what did he call it? Like what, what, fucking what, greatest problems in the world or some shit. He, like he really, our healthcare system has is, is, is always been fucked. It was fucked then and still fucked now. And he was very explicit about how that was, how damaging it was to everybody. How it was just, just all around bad. But then he also explicitly advocated for race specific, uh, uh, solutions like that of reparations to black people. There is, um, and uh, and the, 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 to desegregate and uh, housing discrimination and all the things that were specifically targeted towards black people, even though it was using colorblind language. Which, by the way, in case people didn't know this, yeah, Jim Crow, the Jim Crow laws were all largely colorblind, but that's how it works. They write a you create a law that, like, for example, do rags. I, they, I mean, he put a ban on do-rags in, at a store or whatnot. No one, you can't come in here wearing a do-rag. Sure, that applies to everyone, but who the fuck is wearing do-rags? 
black men. They're the only, we're the only ones wearing them damn things. But then again, the law applies to everyone, but who's the only ones actually wearing a fucking do-rag? Yeah. You get me? That's and how then, Jim Crow worked. And then the other thing I feel like is like, and this is just in my own personal research, uh, there's not a lot of talk about white flight in the civil rights movement because it, oh, it's God, hard. No. It's hard to imagine that, hey, maybe this the community that I live in or the community that my father lived in maybe was the result of white people not wanting to associate with uh, black people. I've been reading a bit into um, – oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say – I was just going to say that you are absolutely right, and I tell people it's like – the re there is a there is a if you live in like a hundred percent town of white people or hundred percent town of black people whatever the case may be, there's a reason for that. It is it's that that didn't happen by accident. But keep going with what you're about to say. Yeah, and like uh, there's a good case study by Kevin M. Cruz called White Flight, and it was an award-winning book on it. But one of the things he notes is that there was an alliance in the city between moderate whites and old school black leaders who had to kind of play the game as much as they could while not challenging white supremacy too much. And when the civil rights movement came along, these were a younger generation of activists who pushed back and broke that alliance to yeah. the point where it demands for actual equality resulted in a large scale backlash that caused white people to sell, sell en masse once the civil rights movement began making legal successes. So I think if I had to talk about the civil rights movement, I would like to see also not just pointing out that colorblindness was never the point. It was the ideal outcome. It, it would also be that white Americans weren't listening. Like Martin Luther King wasn't popular in his time. He never was. He was popular after he died. Yeah, white Americans ran away time and again, right? They were just anything. And, and you realize that you can trace a lot of the problems that we have now to that. And I, like I hate it, I hate it so much. But it's it's like y'all didn't want to white white people didn't want to be around black people like me so goddamn badly that they screwed themselves and their own kids for generations to come because they wanted to be away from black people that badly. Oh yeah, it's actually and, fucking insane. Oh yeah, and and the other thing that was mentioned in uh, Cruz's work is how they literally made up uh, biological explanations for why they didn't want to swim with black people, like that they were diseased and things like that. I mean, and did I, you see my fucking recent... That. Yeah, there's that, that race and IQ shit and the rate, the rate, that bullshit race science is yep. fucking hell. I don't know if you well, saw and, my recent tweet thread on that. Yeah, and, and that's, I saw that. I, I, I know where you were tweeting that from, too. <laughs> uh, so, but no, it was just, it just... It's fascinating because on the one hand, we would all like for Dr. King to have succeeded because we wouldn't have Absolutely. to deal with this BS. But at the, on the other hand, focusing solely on him and misrepresenting him while doing so has, has undermined the entire point for which not only he fought, but activists who had came before him. Like how many people know about Fannie Hamer or Ella Baker or, or know that John yeah, we're, Lewis we're, was – They basically don't exist, it's, and, it's, and it's sad. Or, or that John Lewis wasn't uh, part of Martin Luther King's movement. He was originally part of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. He was one of its many leaders, insofar as SNCC accepted leaders, but you know the point. Um, yeah. So uh, just as we're wrapping up the stream, I was just wondering how can – and this is more an opportunity for you to critique me or other historical commentators. How do you – what responsibility does do modern historians have – 
to really address this backlash and really try to explain how this these our understanding of the past is deeply flawed. What would you like to see from people like me and other historians as well uh, in discussing these kinds of issues? Demand that the bad faith actors, frauds, and all of them provide evidence. So you see, that's their their whole thing with the CRT, for example. They keep saying because you want you want to get them to be as specific as possible, because they try to use vagueness as a way to just you know waxing fucking apocalyptic notions of the, all this is happening. And you're like, what specifically are you referring to? You say kids are being taught to hate America. What specifically are you referring to as teaching anyone, to, to, to any kid that? What specifically are you saying they're teaching white kids that they're guilty of everything? What specifically is teaching anyone that? When they, show me the passage in what book is fucking teaching that. Yeah, I would say so... to y'all that y'all aren't wrong on the substance of what you're doing, but trying to fight substance with bullshit against bullshit is not going to work. You have to pull. You have to, to to show the absurdity of their claims to everyone else, and to do that, you have to get them to to force them to substantiate their claims. Yeah. So, and 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 just my own perspective is, I feel like a lot of uh, scholars, on for now, it's changing. Thankfully, are kind of stuck in their academia because it's like, who wants to deal with all this BS? But in the absence of people coming out and talking and saying, hey, wait a minute, this isn't true, this is a problem, this is nonsense. There's a lot of that conspiracism that you talked about. Mm -hmm. So I think, at least from my perspective, I'm going to try as best I can to, to deal with all the nonsense and not lose my mind. Best of luck to you. Make sure to take breaks and don't get too sucked in because this shit eats away at you in ways that you don't realize it until you've lost days of your life in this. Mm -hmm.